Welcome today to the Carter Report and thanks for joining us. Today we are starting a new series from Africa on the Biblical Prophetic Antichrist. The method of interpretation that we are going to use in this series is the tried, proved and tested method called historicism. Historicism says simply this, you can see, literally see, how the great prophecies have been fulfilled in history. In contrast, there is the system of futurism that was devised by the Jesuit priests after the Protestant Reformation. The Jesuits concocted this theory which has permeated all the churches to take the spotlight of Bible prophecy of the real historical Antichrist. Now today, we are going to go into the very heart of Bible prophecy, Daniel chapter 7, when we talk about the true historical Antichrist. Voices. Voices. Voices from civilizations long silent are crying out. What is the meaning of these strange symbols of divine prophecies? John Carter explains these mysteries as he takes the living word to audiences around the world. Join John Carter in this international ministry as he presents amazing truths from the astounding world of the prophets in The Carter Report. But the Bible tells me very, very plainly that the Antichrist is a system. It is not a person. Oh, you say, I've always been told the Antichrist is a person. Well, you've been told wrong. The Antichrist is not a person. That's where many people have made a great blunder. They've missed the boat completely. The Antichrist is not a person. The Antichrist is a system. Can you see what I'm saying? And so tonight, we're not going to talk about what? Come on, give it back to me. What are we not going to talk about? Not going to talk about people. And if I'm a person who is in that system, we're not talking about you, but we're talking about a system that is deceiving millions of people and may be deceiving most of us. So, that's the introduction. Here endeth, here endeth the first lesson. Now, I want you to come now. Now, the Anglicans liked that one, didn't they? Let me see the Anglicans who are here tonight. Put up your hands if you're an Anglican. Put them up high. Well, we got a few Anglicans. Don't know what the rest of you are. Um, we went through the Baptists. Well, we better not keep just going through because we'll run out of denominations. Come over here to page 249. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Have you folk got that text? Ready to go? I'm ready to go too. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't let anyone, what does it say? Deceive you in any way. So the Bible says, keep your eyes open. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, that's the day of Christ's return. That's the second coming. For that day, the second coming will not occur, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of what is revealed. Say it out loud, folks. Man of who? Lawlessness. Let me come over here to the blackboard. This is the great passage on the Antichrist, ladies and gentlemen. And it calls him the man, in the King James Version, it calls him the man of sin. And the Bible tells us that sin is breaking the law. 
The Bible says that the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. In other words, in some way, the man of sin has tampered with the law of God. Now, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. Let me tell you a little bit about the meeting tomorrow night. I'm going to talk tonight about how Antichrist has shown himself to be the man of lawlessness. And then to illustrate my talk, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put pictures on the big screens, and I'm going to show you pictures such as you've never seen in your lives before. If you hadn't seen these pictures, uh, after you've seen them, if you hadn't seen them, you'd say, I, I wouldn't have believed that was true. I couldn't have believed that was true. And so tomorrow night, I talk about dark deeds of Antichrist reveal, and we tell how this system is really a system against the law of God. And then to prove it to you, we show you pictures on the screen. These are rather sensational. Tomorrow night's program is a follow-on from this one and is harder hitting. This is going to be pretty hard hitting too. Now keep reading with me. It says, that day is not going to occur, the second coming, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction. It calls him a man there because he is over the system. This is a system that is presided over by a man. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. This is important. This power operates in the sphere of religion. Okay? So he puts himself in the place of God. So he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be what? What does it say? Proclaiming himself to be God. Now, I want to um, deal with a misunderstanding of the subject of the Antichrist. Many Christians, because of their lack of understanding of the New Testament language, think the Antichrist is a power that is blatantly opposed to God. You've probably heard this. They say the, the Antichrist most likely is communism because it is opposed to religion. Communism is not the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. The Bible says that the Antichrist puts himself in the place of God. So the Antichrist is not opposed to God per se. The Antichrist, ladies and gentlemen, is a counterfeit Christ. That's what the Antichrist is. And the Bible says he sits where? Where does he sit, folk? Tell me. Come on, say it loud. Say it real loud so we can get this on the video. He sits where? Sits in the temple of God. Now, let me come over to the blackboard, and we're going to put this up, and I want you, please, to follow. The Bible says that the man of lawlessness, the man that is opposed to the law of God sits in the temple or, that's another word for church, the temple of God. Now, if I established no other truth tonight, we would have gone a long way. The Antichrist is not a blatantly anti-Christian power. The Antichrist is a pseudo Christian power that sits in the church. 
Now that's something, isn't it? It's pretty important, isn't it? That I've established that. The Antichrist folk, if you want to find the Antichrist, you don't need to go over to Russia. You don't need to go to Ch uh, China and say we're going to uh, uh, get on to these communists. The Bible says if you want to find the Antichrist, you better go and look inside the church. Did you hear that? Look inside where? The church. Did John Carter say that? No, Bible says that. Now I can see some dear old Christians looking at me now, a little cross-eyed, and they're saying, I just don't like this, because I thought we were going to come along tonight and he was going to say the Antichrist was Mao Zedong. And that would have been safe because Mao Zedong has been dead for years and, and nobody would get offended. Sorry, I can't do that, folk. The Antichrist sits in the church. Now, I guess we may have some Bible scholars here tonight, and I'm going to tell you one or two things. When I studied the Bible prophecies, I am what scholars call an historicist. I believe that history shows how the prophecies have been fulfilled. And by this time in the lectures, 99% of you folk are historicists too. I put up the great prophecy of Daniel 2, and what, what do we go to to prove it? We go to history, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and uh, the breakup of the Roman Empire, and nobody can really argue about that, you see? Now listen to me. If you really want to understand who the Antichrist is, you've got to go to history. That's what we're going to do tonight. And the Antichrist is a pseudo-Christian power sitting in the temple of God and claiming the prerogatives of Jesus Christ. That's pretty important, isn't it? Listen, folk, if I was back in the States and if we were really running behind on our budget and I got a little desperate and I said, I've, I've got to get some more money, uh, now, I better be very careful about this or else I'll get thrown out of this country. And if, and if they won't let me back in the States. And if I were to say, well, what we're going to do, we're going to counterfeit some $100 bills. That's a dangerous thing to do, folk. You can get a lot of free board doing that in the States. If a person were to counterfeit $100 bills, he wouldn't make them out of brown paper, would he? You wouldn't get a bunch of brown paper and run it through the, the copying machine and go down to the First City Bank and say, would you cash this for me? They'd cash it all right. You'd just go to jail. A counterfeit, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening up there? A counterfeit is very much like the original product. This is where most people have been thrown off. They say, oh, no, 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 you got it all wrong. The Antichrist is a person who's going to come in the last days, and most likely he's going to be an atheistic Jew. And he's going to walk around with a big sign on his head that says 666. In fact, he's even going to have a, 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 a tail sticking out a dragon's tail. And he's going to have a forked fork in his hand. Everybody's going to know it. Do you think the devil's as crazy as that? Some people have got it very, very simple, folk. I've read some books that are based on futurism, and they have people running around in the last days. You know, they have people running around in the last days, and they've all got a little mark in their head, 666. People say, that's how they're going to get it. Do they think 
they think the devil is absolutely silly. It's not going to be like that at all. The devil folk is just a little shrewder and a, a mite more uh, subtle. So here is the first point to nail down the identity of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not a power blatantly opposed to Jesus. He is a power that looks very much like Jesus. He is a power that looks like the church. He is a power that has almost universal sway. He is a power that is a counterfeit church, a counterfeit Christ, and he sits not in Moscow, but he sits in the church. Now, before we go any further, just to see if you folk are following me, Put up your hands if you can see that. Put up your hands high. Please put them up if you can see that according to Bible prophecy, that the Antichrist, put, put them up high. I can see one lady just looking at me cross-eyed saying, I'm not going to get my hand up because it may be in the Bible, but I don't want it to be there. The Antichrist is where, folk? The Bible says he sits where? He sits in the temple of who? He sits in the temple of God. Now, I want to say to you folk tonight, I appeal to you, what we've got to do is set aside our religious prejudice and we've got to start to read and study the Bible. Folk, what's the good of coming along to a series of meetings like this if I'm just going to be motivated and guided by religious prejudice and bigotry and I close my mind to the truth? What's the good of that? Now, this meeting takes a bit of digesting and the hardest thing my friend is a closed mind you know what Jesus said to people back in his days he said you've got eyes and they don't see Jesus said you've got ears and they don't hear and Jesus said I'm talking and I'm talking and I'm talking and he was talking to the Pharisees and they were the church people do you know who the hardest people in the world to talk to are do you want to know who the hardest, the hardest audience to talk to is? A bunch of church people. Sorry about that. Just listen to the applause as the church people applaud that one. Listen, folk. Do you know why that is so? Because most of us church people have made up our minds. We've made it all up, and we've been playing church for years. And we think Christianity is going along to church on the weekend, and when the minister says, stand up and sing the hymn, we get up and we sing the hymn. Then the minister says, I'm going to pray, and so he says the prayer for everybody. And then he passes out the plate, and we put in a dime or a nickel, or if we're feeling in a very extravagant mood, we put in a dollar. And we, and we endure the sermon. We endure the sermon, and then we go home and we say, Well, Lord, I've done my duty, and I'm going home to glory. No, we're not. Is that true? Yeah, you know it's true. And so let's be absolutely honest with ourselves, and let's stop playing that old silly game that is called church. And let it, now that's, that's got, I go to church. I believe in the church. 
But I want to tell you folks something. The church doesn't save our souls. It is Jesus who saves our souls. And I want to tell you, folks, there's a lot of people who've gone to church who are not going to heaven, and there's a lot of people who haven't gone to church who are going to heaven because they believed in Jesus. That's the reason. It is Jesus who saves. And I find myself, the older I get when I preach to people, I find myself talking less about church and more about Jesus. You hear that? I want to be known as a man who talks about Jesus. I want to magnify Jesus. I don't even want to talk about this humbug who's called the Antichrist. But I told you, folks, that's what I was going to talk about. So I'm going to talk about it. Because this Antichrist has stopped a lot of people getting to know Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus said, you're not going to get to heaven just following the tradition of the church. You're not going to get to heaven just going through the prayer book. You're going to get to heaven through Jesus and by following the word of God. That's how we're going to be saved. Now let me say this. I don't believe that just one denomination is going to be saved. I believe in the kingdom of God. Some people have said to me, do you, do you really think that, that some people of that religion are going to be there? Too right I do. I believe that the kingdom of God is going to have lots of Catholics and lots of Baptists and lots of Pentecostals and lots of Methodists because they've all got there under the blood of Jesus. Not because of what their churches teach. It's true, isn't it? If you folk wouldn't urge me on, I'd get onto the subject quicker. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now... The Bible tells me the Antichrist sits where? In the church. Did John Carter tell you that? No, who told you that? The Bible, that's right. And John Carter simply read it to you. Now, dearly beloved people, and I, I'm starting to love you folk, you know. Come over here with me to Daniel chapter 7. It's page 1002. Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. And I want you folk who were here last night to uh, help me to work this out and to tell the folk who weren't here last night what it all means. Daniel 7 verse 2. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Then the Bible says, Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now you folk who were here last night, in Bible prophecy, what does a beast represent? It represents a king or a kingdom. And uh, maybe for the folk who weren't here last night, we'll give them a text on this one. Look at verse, verse 17 of the same chapter. Daniel 7, verse 17, dear hearts and gentle people. Daniel 7, verse 17. The Bible says, the four great beasts are four, what does it say? Are four kingdoms. Yes, they're kingdoms that will rise from the earth. And so... 
The four beasts of Daniel 7 represent four great kingdoms that started back in the days of Daniel. And Daniel, of course, was the prime minister of the, of the great kingdom of what? Kingdom of Babylon. And so this prophecy was given about 600 years, no, about 550 years before Jesus. And it was given when Babylon was ruling the world. You know that is so. I, I'm not going to try to prove it to you. I did so last night. Now come down to the first beast, dear people. Verse, verse 3. No, it's verse 4. The Bible says, the first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. Okay, now George, let it come down. Let the people gaze upon the first beast of Bible prophecy, and that is the lion with wings. And everybody here knows that in Bible prophecy, the king of the beasts represents what? The king of the kingdoms back in those days, and that was the kingdom of, say it loud, a little louder. That was the kingdom of Babylon. Has anybody got any doubts? No doubts at all. If anybody has, they're too scared to say it anyhow. So <laughs> the first beast in the Bible prophecies is, is Babylon. Uh, let me ask the, the ladies here. Do you get dates from Iraq in a little packet which are called Line of Babylon? Oh, there's, there's a gentleman. You get them? Thank you. See me later and we'll give you a prize. Um, but the rest of you don't. The man here probably doesn't know what he's eating because men just eat what their wives put in front of them. But back in Australia, we get little packets of dates. It says, uh, produce of Iraq, and it's got a line on the front, and it says, line of Babylon. Shows you the Iraqis are, are right on these prophecies right along. So, so the line in Bible prophecy is Babylon. Okay, come to the next one. You know it's true. We're not trying to prove this tonight. We proved it last night. Uh, verse 5. There before me was a second beast. Here he is. He looked like a bear. Yes, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. That's because Media came up before Persia. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And so after Babylon came, come on, what was it? Dear hearts, what was it? Medo-Persia. And uh, you'll all, A-double-L, you'll all remember that when uh, Medo-Persia came on the scene, there was a coalition government, three powers, that resisted the rise of the Medo-Persians. And those three kingdoms were? Don't, no, no, don't give them to me out of order. I forget them. <laughs> That's right. They, Egypt was one. What's another one? Uh, Lydia. Well done. And another one. Babylon. So the three ribs, the three bleeding ribs in the mouth of the bear, according to the great professor Breasted, are Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Okay? Or as we say, okie-dokie. Is that right? Now come to the next verse. Next verse. Verse 6. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, one that is never seen in Africa. Yes, another beast, one that looked like a leopard. On its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads. Dominion was given to it. Now what power is that? Babylon, Medo-Persia. What's the next one? Greece. And when Alexander was dying, the generals got around his bed and said, who is going to have the kingdom? He said, it's going to go to the strongest. And his kingdom after his death was divided among his warring generals. And they were, say them with me, Cassander... Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. <laughs> Did you folk know that? 
Okay, let's say it again. Cassandra. Come on, say Cassandra. Cassandra. What's the next one? Lysimachus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like a lot of serpents in here. What's the third one? Seleucus. Yes. And the fourth one? It's Ptolemy. All past. Excellent. Now come to the next one. Come to the next verse. Now, verse 7, after that, on my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Not a very nice uh, character. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. That's right, George. Give that beast a good poke. That's what he deserves. Just give him a clout because he's caused a lot of trouble. Uh, maybe, George, you can... Cloud and hit him back a little further this way so the television camera can pick it up even better. That's right, George. Don't be worried about the beast. We've got no sympathies for him. That's good. So, when I point to the beast, Warren, we're going to do something special. When I point to the beast, I want you to tell me what it was. The line? Yeah, come on. Say it real loud. The line was? Yeah, right. And the bear? Medo-Persia. And the leopard? Greece and the four heads were oh no no the four heads or oh. the four heads uh, number one Cassandra Cassandra Lysimachus Seleucus Ptolemy God bless and save us all okay I'll start again let's start now we'll leave out the four heads I think because that only complicates the proceedings and and makes me unedgy. It makes me a little edgy. So the lion was, say it loud. And the bear. Medo Persia. And the leopard. Now, real loud. And the monster, the nondescript monster, the fourth beast is Rome. The prophecies of the Bible have got tremendous power to change nations and, most importantly, to change individuals like you and me. It was the teaching of these prophecies that saved the world back there in the dark ages. It is the teaching of these prophecies that in these last days is going to save you and me from the great deceptions of the Bible Antichrist. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free.